0: I said welcome to our final Bible study on 1 Thessalonians. Uh, We will finish today uh, chapter 5, which we spent the first half of uh, studying last week. Um, It's a common refrain of mine in these Bible studies and has been for many, many years that often the chapter divisions in the books of the Bible are all in the wrong places because they were added much, much later and occasionally they fell in the right places and very often not. In fact, you can buy Bibles where they don't mark the chapters and verses particularly. They kind of hide them so that you read them as they were written, just in paragraphs. And so this is a good example of it, where the chapter division, if if there's going to be one, uh, (coughs) it should come at the end of chapter 5, verse 11, uh, which concludes the section on the uh, matters concerning... Uh, the fate of those who have died before Christ's return, and also then the question of what happens at the end of the world. So we will go from verse 12 today, but before we proceed, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you that you have made yourself known in the word, and that through knowing you we may know the Father. So as we continue to study the words of the Apostle Paul, we thank you that you sent him to teach the church, and he still teaches us today, and that you would open our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit to, re- to receive his teaching in faith. This we ask in Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. 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 Okay, so uh, Thessalonica, just a, a review once more, a uh, major city of Macedonia, as it is today, and it uh, had a young church which had been set up by Paul, or had been founded by Paul through his preaching in the local synagogue. And his expulsion from it, Uh, following the expulsion from the synagogue, uh, some weeks later he was expelled from the whole city. There's a young church there, and Paul is writing Uh, sometime later, probably a matter of weeks or maybe a few months later, from Corinth uh, to these Christians, uh, partly out of concern for their spiritual well-being, partly uh, to express that uh, his, his care for them. And it is evident from what we studied last time, the second half of chapter four and the first half of chapter five, that there has been a, a genuine issue. And the genuine issue that has been there uh, was um, misunderstandings and, and, and resulting anxiety um, concerning the uh, what is, in, is professionally in theology known as eschatology, doctrine of the last things. So what happens to those who die? What happens when Christ uh, returns. It is evident that that remains a problem because there's a second, a second Thessalonians, which continues to deal with those issues as well. And so, it, it's good, to, good for us to know. Really, uh, it's a, it's a good guide for reading the New Testament. Is that most of the letters of the New Testament, in particular, were written because they were needed at a particular time in, in a particular place. They are addressing issues of the day. Paul did not write letters to say, you know, well, I'm going to write a whole series of teaching letters so that people can read about the Christian faith 2,000 years later. He wrote to Thessalonica or to Corinth or wherever, because there's something happening that required his intervention. Or something that required him to get in touch. And so they, in that sense, the... They are again, to use a kind of a, a slightly technical term, they are contingent. They just happen to come come about from a human perspective because of the circumstances of the day. That's why n- none of the letters, with the this partial exception of Romans, none of, the, none of the letters just set out to give us the teaching on X or Y or Z or or to give us the Christian faith. But rather they address the issue that is at hand But in in, in God's wisdom, in dealing with those uh, issues, um, we have in fact ended up with a body of teaching on a whole range of things. There are some areas of Dick doctrine where Paul, for example, makes some kind of passing reference. As one of my lecturers uh, once said, "He's like Paul. Kind of, you're walking with Paul through a long corridor, and you see there's a door ajar. You kind of get a quick glimpse of what's in there, and then he just walks on." (laughs) And and so there are lots of lots of things that Paul never actually addresses, um, particularly, or the apostles don't, and and subsequent theologians and subsequent generations of Christians have tried to deal with. Them. But so, <coughs> for the what this uh, things we studied last time were the kind of heart, the theological heart of the letter. This is the issue that prompted Paul in, to write in particular. We can just imagine <coughs> that Timothy returns from Thessalonica finds Paul in Corinth. He says, "Yeah, they're doing all right. They're faithful. They're they're full of faith and love for one another. They care for other Christians too. <coughs> know, they. But there's this thing going on. I think you ought to write them a letter, Paul." And so he does. So that's uh, therefore what we are looking at today. <coughs> is is properly the conclusion of the letter? It's it's the closing of the letter where he 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 no longer continues to teach them on any particular topic, but these are the kind of what are, what we might call closing admonitions so this is a closing statement he just gives the like as he often does in his letters he at the end of his letter he just gives some sort of general uh general instruction uh in short uh sentences not uh not particularly uh linked to their particular needs these are the sorts of things that he might say to any church but there is a little bit of local flavour in them in it as we will see so this is the close of the letter it is it, it's his sort of concluding uh, bracketing off of everything that he has said so he leaves them it's like you will know that in it you know when you're reading a book the opening and the closing are particularly important if you start a le- book and the first chapter is dull you might put it down but then, you, if you get to the end, and the end just ends with a nothing, he's like, "Oh," and it comes unmemorable. Oh, so it's important. And so, uh, what comes at the end of the letter is very important. It's the last thing that they will hear. So it's the thing that will be uh, will remain with them. This is why, by the way, it's, um, preachers I and mean, pastors being in training are often trained, at least in the Lutheran tradition, uh, trained in the, to conclude with uh, conclude with the gospel. How about your last thing that you say, something that, that holds out the promises of God, so that you're left with that as the final impression? Now, I, I personally don't think that's always necessary, because it just depends on the set, setting, but the, the intention is the same. What's the last thing you want your hearers to have in their ears before you sit down? The gospel might be a good one to leave them with. Mm-hmm. What Paul actually does, generally speaking, doesn't he gives these instructions or admonitions. That's by way of introduction. Enough of me. Let's hear from Paul. So um, it's all really in in the uh, one section. But let's, for the sake of uh, giving everybody something to do, if we uh, if we have someone read from 12 to 22, and then somebody else from 23 to the end. Um, You do need to announce yourself, whoever gets to start reading first is the winner.
1: (coughs) We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labour among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold first what is good abstain from every form of evil.
2: Now may God, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is, is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and a, with a holy kiss I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.
0: Thank you,
3: ancestors.
0: Where does it oh, say ancestors? In mine. Who's ancestors? We're brothers
3: Ancestors.
0: No. Where does it say that?
3: It says read all, read all the brothers, and um, in mine it says ancestors. Does it?
0: <laughs> That's very strange. What, okay, what's that? Uh, it's a Bible.
2: Yeah, I know, but what
0: new? Yeah, the new N-I-B.
2: Oh, is it okay? Yeah. Right, so <clears throat> uh, let's
0: uh, so, so let's go back to the top. So verse twelve, no, uh, again, the use of the word brothers. He, uh, when you again, um, because there was no chapter divisions, were you know the the whole thing was uh, was written in, in, in one block. There are various verbal clues as to where you know new, as new sections, and Paul does sometimes this. He when he uses the word brothers, and brothers and sisters, uh, but the the word brothers here obviously is a reference to the brotherhood of the church. Um, that is to say, the church family. That is to say, that we are all sons of God, and uh, I I I always defer in this matter. Uh, gi- given that I have a personal interest, I defer to the opinion of a woman. And the woman in care- care question is the pro- Professor Mona Hooker, who was Regis Professor of Divinity at Cambridge University. And a uh, quarter of a century ago, I sat in her lectures oh. uh, on St. Paul, uh, and particular- actually it was Galatians. And at that time, the NRSB had come out, and it does exactly that, brothers and sisters. Or when it's the, son- or when it's the sons of God, it says children of God. And she said, that uh, um, said, you know, I'm as good a feminist as any, any woman in this room, but I do not want to be a daughter of God. I want to be a son of God, because only sons inherit. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I will, you know, don't give me a Bible that takes away from me sonship just because I happen to be a woman. Uh, and so she's very, very, um, very forthright about that. So we are all brothers because we are all sons. And it doesn't matter whether we are women or women. Uh, because we all inherit equally uh, in the kingdom of God. That by that being the, uh, you know, this way or that, when when you have this, we ask you, brothers. You said, okay, this is like a paragraph break. In the same way we had, if you look, if you just look at the your Bible, um, chapter four, it says, finally, then brothers, we ask and urge you. And then you have got the chunk of text. Then the editors put in a, a subtitle, uh, a subheading, it says verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. Then we get to the end of the chapter, new chapter chapter 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers. Um, and and so in this way, um, chapter 2, verse 17, since we were torn away from you, brothers, chapter 2 begins with, for you yourselves know, brothers, you see. See, he, he puts in that brothers every time he starts a new section. So he kind of addresses them again. He likes his dear friends.
2: Is there a reason why the women weren't mentioned? Uh,
0: because the women were brothers too. they can't be. Yeah, they are, I just told you. They're all sons of God.
2: Male and female.
0: Yes, but in the kingdom of God we are all inheritors of the kingdom, therefore we are sons of God. That's why. It's a, it's a, it's partly cultural in that sense that that's how you would address a brotherhood, and so you might, if you read something like the ESV. Yeah. Um, every time a new book starts so you know if, if you've got the black esv bible from the church if you go to the chapter 1 and you look at the footnotes footnote number 2 is a footnote for the first mention of the word brothers oh yeah yeah, yeah. and uh it says all brothers and sisters in new testament usage depending on the context the plural greek word adelphoi translated brothers May refer either to brothers or to brothers and sisters. Mm. So brother in Greek is Adelphos. A a sister is an Adelpha. So it's like masculine and feminine version of the same word. Uh, hence like an actor and actress. So you could say, you could call these actors that they could be male and female, but if it's an actress, it's only a female. And in the same way, you know, we talk about, you know, mankind. But if you say womankind, you are you are therefore immediately excluding the male half. But mankind could include both. It's just common usage, so it doesn't in any way exclude women. Uh, It's only become an issue in the last hundred years because it's been made an issue within our own culture. Well, just you know, it's been seen as as in its day, it was radical in the opposite direction. So to address a mixed congregation, to include into the congregation of the faithful on equal terms men and women, and calling them all brothers was a really pro woman thing to do. Now we, have, in our time, it seems like an anti woman thing to do to use a male male pronoun only, or male male terms only. But in those days, it was like a, you know, women are are not excluded from this from this from this, from this gathering from this from this designation. So in those days. In the same way that we have these days, mm-hmm. a lot of female actors who said, "I'm not an actress; I'm an actor who happens to be a woman." Mm-hmm. In other words, you're not saying being called an actor is like you know why 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 don't you include female actors? Why don't you include actresses? So well, actually, everybody is an actor, male or female, mm-hmm. and it's an inclusive term rather than exclusive term. Mm-hmm. And in those days, for women to be to be included in the brotherhood was was a privilege rather than a slight. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's just that we've we've lived long enough in this Christian culture to have kind of graduated at the other end, and now we think that this is this is terribly sexist. When it wasn't, when when in fact it was the very opposite in its own day. Mm.
3: I'm sorry, I'm sorry.
0: Yes, we we forgive you. Just sit quietly for the rest of the time, please, and don't say anything. Okay. So we ask you, brothers. He says. So the first address. So this is addressed to the whole, whole congregation. We ask you. Uh, And it says in in the ASU, to respect those who labour among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Um, This is very early days. So nobody's been to seminary, uh, but there already is a leadership uh, in the church. Now, the word there that is, it translates, it says there to respect um, the very literal translation. Again, literal translations are almost always over-literal. Uh, is to know those uh, who labour among you. But maybe, you know, if you take a no word, maybe a better uh, better word, a slightly less literal translation would be acknowledge. So knowledge and acknowledge are kind of same same concept but from a different angle. So it's like acknowledge that is recognised to, and, and therefore uh, to treat uh, those who are in that position as being in that position so if you know that somebody is the boss you acknowledge him as boss it's kind of the knowledge and the acknowledgement and the respect all are part and parcel of the same that's the idea behind that
2: so laboring is about working in the church not doing manual labor outside. correct yes
0: so it's labor among you and over you in the lord mm-hmm. um, literally the, the again the literal that being over is one word it means standing in front standing at the front so he's referring to the congregational leadership, what we would call pastors. Mm-hmm. I and mean, they would have they in the early church, in the kind of New Testament era, you would often have more than one person in the position. Uh, partly because very often they, they weren't they didn't get weren't able to get necessarily their full living from it. So you might have people who are working during the week and then uh, also leaders of the congregations. You might have a, you might have several of them, so they are sharing the duties because it wasn't a full time job, as it were. But as he said, "This is referring to the the what we might call clergy, uh, the pastors, you know those who are who, those who are leaders are of the congregation." And he says, "To respect those who labour among you and are over you, as in stand stand kind of at the front, in the Lord, mm-hmm. and admonish you." <laughs> um, why do you think Paul might have to remind them to respect the people who admonish them?
1: Because they've got to love their enemies. As well. They're not themselves.
0: enemies. They're not enemies. They are the, they're the, the pastors. Yeah, oh, well. So I hope they're not enemies. They're there amongst the brothers. What is that? What, I mean, what, to, to be admonished, what does that mean? To
4: correct, correct. someone.
0: Yeah. yeah, to correct someone. Um,
4: Would it be if they if a person was wrongly interpreting or doing something that wasn't correct, mm-hmm. then the person, the pastor, or whoever was taken they would then correct them on that, just bring it to their attention that perhaps that was not what they should be thinking, doing or whatever.
0: Hopefully they would be more less 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 polite about it than that. They'll be more direct. Oh <laughs> in other words saying because these are people some of these are Jews who have converted oh not converted really Jews who have come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Some of them are pagans who already believed in the God of in in the Jewish scriptures. But haven't become Jews and uh, but uh, haven't converted Judaism, and who have now come to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And then there are some; there might even be some here who are who come from kind of straight, wild paganism, um, come straight from the worship of false gods to believe in the God of Israel by worshiping Jesus. Whichever group you're looking at, there will be plenty to learn, plenty of uh, misconceptions. Uh, and particularly for any, anybody who comes from paganism, there'd be lifestyle issues. Uh, you know, the, in the same way that in our world today, if somebody is, is a comp- you know, comes from a completely um, unbelieving background and then comes to believe, you know, comes to faith in, in Jesus, mm-hmm. the, the chances are that the kind of life they've lived up to that point is not in harmony with God's word, and they need to be admonished and cor- that is say corrected and said. Mm-hmm. And you say, now that you're a Christian, you can't carry on like that anymore. All I'm saying is that hopefully there will be so much of a perhaps in it and just a very much just this is how it is. Um, You know, in the same way if, I don't know, if you come to church on a Sunday morning and then five minutes before the service starts trading insults with one another (laughs) it is part of my job to come and and say without any perhapses this is not right. This is not how Christians ought to speak to one another. You need to stop, you need to apologise and you need to repent. That's admonition. You know, and, and I'm taking obviously an extreme example, but it, it has, it, it, has, ha-
1: happened. it has
0: happened and it does happen. That's the, that particular example, but lots of things. I mean,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that, that's just what it is to be a, a sinful Christian, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we make mistakes and we also mislead ourselves or are misled and need to be corrected. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, if I, if I may be permitted yet another naval illustration, but yeah. there's a, there's a case of a Finnish ship, uh, about a hundred years ago. I told the story before, 150 years ago, sailing ship, uh, sailing I think they were sailing to the States and, and they kind of entered the Strait of Dover and uh, getting to the Strait of Dover from the Baltic Sea is hard work.
5: Mm.
0: From there it was going to be plain sailing because you'd just go through the English Channel and across the Atlantic. Mm. And so what do you do if you're a responsible crew of ship uh, on a ship? You celebrate uh, <laughs> the Finnish style and uh, in the inebriation. A
2: glass it's, of rum.
0: <laughs> it was more than a glass of rum, I'm afraid. Uh, and uh, And they set the course in a slightly inebriated way, and it was just one degree off. Oh. And, unfortunately, they didn't, they didn't get all the way to Devon before they ran aground.
5: Mm. Mm.
0: Now, it wasn't a massive... He wasn't like, you know, instead of going north, they went south.
5: Mm.
0: But instead of going, I don't know, compass point 269, two they went 268, you know, 270, two mm. and the end result was that instead of getting out at the other end into the Atlantic, they hit the south coast of England at some mm. point, mm. Um, and that was the end of their celebration. So, you know, and, and the same can happen with us, you know, that we, we kind of set up, it's not that we are flaming heretics and we deny the existence of God and we think that God is, is 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 Jesus Mary and the Holy Spirit and, 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 and we, you know, sacrifice babies on the altar and drink their blood and, you know, or, or some other, you know, craziness. But we can set our course, you know, either of our life or of our faith, <coughs> nearly but not quite. And if you follow that, pursue that consistently, we eventually end up hitting the rocks. So we need to be corrected. Course needs mm. to be corrected and we brought brought back on the straight mm. and narrow. And that narrow, straight and narrow, of course, comes from Jesus' parable of the narrow path and the gladies and the narrow gate.
5: Yeah. Mm.
0: So that's what that admonition is. But if somebody's if somebody's job is to admonish these young Christians, there might be a reason why Paul is telling them to to show them respect. Because who likes to be admonished? Mm. You know, who likes you know, you know what, what's the uh, you know if, if you take a, a secular example if you take it like a um, what do you call them um, uh, parking wardens
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know it's a sort of necessary job but ever, nobody likes a parking warden right
2: no
0: you see one walking towards your car and you <laughs> try to overtake them or if you see somebody coming from your car and you see a piece of paper on them, yeah. you might be a little bit <coughs> less yeah. friendly to them. You might not wish them the top of the day.
5: Whoops.
0: Yeah, um, at that point. But saying, you know. In other words, their task, because their task is admonition, it can cause friction.
5: Yeah. So, you know,
0: and who are you? you know, we we, we have both, both been in the same church the same length of time. Why are you telling me what to do to think or to believe or to, how to act? Yeah. So Paul reminds them. Respect, acknowledge those who, and, and notice what I said, they labour among you. So first of all is that they they they, are de- they dedicate their efforts to you, mm. and this this kind of comes with, if you think of the parables that Jesus teaches about the sower and the seed or the yeah. laborers in the vineyard. This idea that the ministers of the church, you know, they work hard in Lord's vineyard. You are that vineyard, so you need to you know it needs to be it needs to be like acknowledged that that's what they do. They're working for your benefit. Secondly, that they are. What did he say here in the ESP? Over you. In other words, they they have been established they have been set in that position. They are in an office and they're over you in the Lord.
4: Mm. Not in themselves. So would they have had training? Who would they have had training from? Would it have been Paul? Paul. It was Paul who yes. was trained them.
0: Yes. So you can imagine and that's why yes. I think Paul writes these letters because yes. they are very young church. We see this I mean Reading Acts very slowly and carefully, this is really fascinating, not for the actual message, but, you know, you get little glimpses. But we have, um, we occasionally see this when Paul, Paul goes to Thessalonica and Philippi. Now, when Philippi, he goes to Philippi from, Philippi is the first place in Europe that Paul goes to. In other words, the first time that he crosses over from what we now call Turkey Mm -hmm. into what we now call Greece. And up to that point in Acts, the whole thing is the third person narrative. Paul has a vision of the Macedonian man in the night as he come over to us. Paul then, and then immediately after this says, and so the next day, we crossed over. So all of a sudden, Luke puts himself into the story. It's not he, but we. and It's all about we. But then when Paul leaves Thessalonica, it becomes a he narrative again. So what do we? What can we infer from that? Luke went to Philippi with Paul and stayed, stayed there. there. Mm. So Paul did, would do this. He he would take people, you know, part of his entourage, and he would leave somebody uh, maybe there in charge to continue training. And we know that he sent Timothy there.
5: Mm.
0: So Timothy, will, no doubt, will not only teach the church, but he will also instruct the leaders because he was a trusted colleague of Paul's. Be that as it may... Um, this is what he says, so they are, but they are over you in the Lord. That is to say it is an office. It's not just a personal thing. You know, who are you to tell me what to do? So it is not me telling you. I hold the office and the job of this office is to tell me, to. who are you to tell me where, and where, where I can and can't park? Who are you to tell me that I have to pay the council money because I park here for longer than, than, than it says? who do you think you are? I said, it's not me. It's the office that I hold. I have been entrusted with this task. You know, who are you to tell me to stop my car on the motorway? So it's not me, but I happen to be a policeman
5: mm. and
0: it's my job. So it's this the question of the office. And pastors are set in an office. It's not a personal thing. This is why I say, I regularly say, um, as, as, as you may have, may, may remember me saying it from time to time at least, that um whether you like or even respect the pastor of the church should be, have no bearing whatsoever on whether you actually go to church. Because you don't go there to hear the man or to spend time with the man. You go there to receive the word of God. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if that man is unfaithful and does not deliver the goods, then that's a different matter. And obviously, if it's an abusive situation, that, does, you know, that changes things as well. But if somebody who you don't particularly like... And maybe doesn't do the job as well as you know the you know some pastor in the past or whatever isn't as good a preacher or isn't as engaging a person or is, whatever those things should not come into it at all because they're not there to sell themselves they're there to deliver the word of God to administer the sacraments Augsburg I'll come to you in just a second Augsburg Confession as I as I often remind you Article Four teaches us, Article One. Teaches us that God, we believe in it. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. Article two: Original sin. We are all sinful uh, by birth, uh, by, from from birth by nature, and uh, are in ourselves uh, short of the glory of God. Article three: Jesus Christ, God's Son, uh, you know, God, his, his Son of God, and Son of Mary, uh, who became incarnate for our salvation. Article four: Justification. That on account, of, not of our own merits or worthiness, but on the merits and worthiness of Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven when we uh, when we have faith in him. So anyone who has faith in him is justified, is righteous, is made righteous through faith in him alone on the basis of his merits. Then comes Article 5. So, okay, so that's nice. That's all the theory. It's a bit like my telling you, if you do this and this and this and this and this, then... Um, you know, you can, you, can, you can win the gold medal in the, in the Olympics, mm. right? Okay so, okay, so that's how it's done. Now, how do I do it? And so the next thing, in order that we may have such faith, the, the office or the ministry of preaching the gospel and, and ministering the sacraments was given. And through the gospel and the sacraments, you know, there's the, not the minister, the ministry, the office, not the office holder, was given. And through this office, through this ministry, through the gospel and the sacraments that are preached and administered, the Holy Spirit creates faith where and when it pleases God. Yeah? This is the... This is the, this is what... Uh, exactly the same point. And therefore we... It's, it's one of the difficult things as a Christian that we need to look past the person. Because sometimes we can... You know, we get distracted because we like them too much or not enough. And so you have to get past that point and just say, I'm here for Jesus, not for the servant who delivers Jesus. You know, if the food in the restaurant is good, never mind the fact that the wait is a bit rude. You know, I'm not here for the waiter, I'm here for the food. And what i put up with the waiter for the sake of the food. Barbara, you want to say. Uh,
3: well, a couple of things, actually. Um, but uh, one I was just thinking about um, was that um, the last war... And the fact that the people that were killed were—they obviously didn't believe in Jesus, but they were still—they um, uh, were still Christians.
0: Well, you can't—you if you don't believe in Jesus, you're not a Christian.
3: Well, that's that's what I'm saying. And so I'm sitting here thinking, well, was it good that? They were killing all these people off. Um, But I still can't think that that's right.
0: Who was killing whom?
3: Uh, The the, the, uh, the war, the last war. And the people that were, I don't know, whatever they did to them, um, they were obviously Christians in the, the fact that that's who they were. But they
0: didn't believe in Jesus. But then they—if they didn't believe her. in Jesus, they weren't Christians.
3: So, are you
0: talking about the Holocaust? Yes.
5: Or the ah. killing of the Jews. Yes.
0: Okay. Well They yeah.
2: weren't Christians yes. anyway. No, Nazis. the Nazis
0: were not Christians. They—they they, they were anti—they were yeah—they were—they were, yeah, they were, they were very much anti-Christian. Yeah. Mm. Um, and it wasn't Christianity that spurred them to act against Jews. It was racism. Right. Yeah. It was—it was—and it, based on kind of a half-digested. Version of Darwinism. Yeah, this idea that there are rival races,
2: superior race. Yes,
0: so that so that that had nothing, to, yeah, nothing to do with it. But
3: but they were the people that got killed, as opposed to us. Um, yes. So it was that area, wasn't it, about how how they were, how they thought they were.
0: Right. Um, well, I'm not quite sure. I see how it links to this.
3: Okay. Well, that's kind
0: of just. Because you're yeah, talking by the true. Ministry of the Church yeah. at this in this mm-hmm. point.
3: Okay, well that's that's fine. I was just thinking um, yeah. um, about that, and, okay, I
4: have got something else. That, were you thinking of them having to be admonished? Yes, yes, that was the thing. That
0: that that they, they should did. have been. Well, that's yeah. Oh well, yes, and, and some, yeah, it <laughs> but I mean there were people yeah. who, for example, there were clergy in Germany, some, a lot of people, a lot of people in difficult times go take their easiest option. Most of us aren't. Most of us aren't heroes. You know, we, when we look at, you know, people who've done brave things. I was listening to a radio program this morning about Rosa Parks, who famously, uh, famously, refused to give up her seat on a bus, uh, the segregated bus, mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: and uh, and we think, you know, how can you know, What what terrible people they were not to allow. You know, most people, including most decent people, weren't brave and heroic in those days. And you and I are no more likely to have been heroic then than we are now, when it comes to things. Um, but there were some who did and uh, a lot of them um, paid a very heavy price for it. Mm. So uh, the Roman Catholic Church uh, acknowledges as a saint a priest called Maximilian Kolber uh, who ended up in Auschwitz for his resistance and the way he died was that he, um, uh, been, there was a punishment um, I think it was a case that somebody, some prisoners had escaped from Auschwitz, and the way that the prison council were run was that if somebody escaped, uh, they would then uh, execute several of the remaining prisoners so that they wouldn't have seen. It. If you escape, this is what happens to your fellows. Mm. That kind of that was the idea. And some and one somebody was chosen for execution, and he kind of cried out, said, "Well, my wife, my children." And Maximilian Kolbe said, "Well, I have no wife and children, being a Catholic priest." And he volunteered and took his place. Mm. Um, but he was in that situation because he did admonish, mm-hmm. if you like. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a was a Lutheran pastor who, who gave his life, you know, who lost his life in the same pursuit.
5: Yeah, and well, there were others.
0: Yeah. Well, there were others too, but they were a minority. Um, in that, but that's just how it always is. You know, if, I, I don't think we should sit in this room thinking that we would be, you know, if we were in that situation, we would do the right thing and risk life and limb. In, out of courage, unless we've already shown up to this point in our lives that we're willing to risk life and live for some cause that is, is righteous, which most of us haven't. You know, if you're not on the barricades now, you probably wouldn't have been in the 60s or the 40s either. That's 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 my thing. But if you get back to the uh, back to the text, um, you know, this is the reason I, I used to talk about this is this is um is something that we need to be reminded of because humans are very relational and we do judge people according to our relationship with them and according to kind of all sorts of things, according to which we either do or, do <coughs> do or don't like people, do or don't respect people. And that's why he says in verse 13, esteem them very highly in love um, uh, on account of their work. Now it doesn't. Now, what does that? What could that could mean? At least two different things. That you instill it because of their work. What that? What could that? Because of their work mean? I can think of two things. If you can think of more, of that, all the better.
1: These people were doing work that no one else wanted to do, so they were loved because they were doing
0: it. It wasn't. That, it wasn't the case of not work that others other didn't want to do. Uh, uh, because it was, um, they were, they were, you know, he's talked about the pastors, the, 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 the ministers of the church.
4: Mm-hmm. Would it be the effort that they have, were putting in to try and keep them all together and doing, and believing the right thing? They would have to, as you have to, study.
0: Okay, so yes, yeah, so it, so it could be in yeah. a sense, you know, that you acknowledge the fact I that they work hard. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it could be that it's, it's a reference that, you know, in a sense, like, look at how they're working for you. Mm-hmm. So, so you see them highly in love. Of course, there's a flip side to that. So that if they're lazy, you don't have to. Oh. <laughs> and they shouldn't be lazy. Um, there is, there's another way of reading it as well. Anyone? I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying that, that so that's one way of reading. So, you know, in a sense, it's a reference to the quality or the, the amount of their work. Well, yes yeah, so it could be on account of the work that they do yeah so work. you know they are in that so again it's not because of how they do their work but because just what the work is they are in the you know what in you know, later later Christian tradition would call the holy ministry but the ministry itself is holy and therefore you you show respect to the minister because of the office in the same way like you know if you know if if um, if you walk into into uh, into a room and 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 there you see the king, then you know ladies curtsy and, and gentlemen bow, right?
5: Mm-hmm.
0: It's just uh, you know if he, if, he, if he if he if he stands there, take his clothes off and make his stand there, he's just like flesh and blood. You can poke him and you can draw blood out him, mm-hmm. just like you and me. And he's no different. He has to eat and drink and go to go to the toilet and go to sleep. So why 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 do we curtsy why do we lady curtsy to him but not to me or to to one another? Because of his position.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Not because he's such a fantastic king, whether he is or not, he's, he's neither here nor there, it's because he is the king. So it's the kingship that you acknowledge and you show respect to the man because of his kingship, um, regardless of himself. And in the say and, and what Paul is saying here possibly is you do the same with with um, uh, with pastors that again you show uh, esteem them highly in love because of their work because of the kind of work that they engaged in. Mm-hmm. now we could of course put those two two together as Paul does elsewhere is that you know that, that, that those who work hard are worthy of double honor mm-hmm. so they get honored for the office and for their hard work as well um be that you know, you can take that, take that either way. So there's that relationship. So that's like the congregation's relationship to the pastors, to the clergy. Should be one of respect, and high esteem, and love. And then amongst themselves,
3: the same. We still care about
0: them. What's the word? The specific thing that he he says. This is he, the end of verse thirteen. Be at peace among yourselves. Mm. So it's peace. Um, Paul, in, in, in Ephesians, he talks about the bond of peace, um, which is a work of the Holy Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, etc. So this idea that we're at peace among ourselves because we, are, we have received the peace of God. This is why, in the, uh, from the very early on, in the liturgy, as we will see in a minute, we have the kiss of peace. That you acknowledge it's a kiss of peace because we are all siblings, if you like, in the Lord. And it's a kiss of peace. We we, we bury all all rivalries, dissensions, any kind of um, divisions, because we come together as one. Paul goes on to develop this in the when he talks about the body of Christ. We're members of the body of Christ. You know, if, if you're... You know, if your fist is at war with your nose, <coughs> it will not end well for you. You know, um, we talk about things like self-harm, people who self-harm. Mm. You know, the one part of the body causes another part of the body to suffer, and it's it's a disorder. Mm. And we are members of the one body, so when 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 we're at war with one another, it's a disorder <coughs> of the church mm. against which we must uh, be on guard. Be at peace among yourselves. Um... Why, why? Why might we not be at peace mother ourselves? What? What causes peace to uh, be disrupted in the church? Sin. That's that's a good good answer. Uh, now, what does that look like in practice? So what? What practical things? So that's the group answer. I think I've told you the story before. There's a bishop in the uh, newly newly elected, newly consecrated bishop in uh, in uh, Northern Finland, seventies. And uh, he was interviewed on, on, on local radio, I think it was. And the interviewer said, So, Bishop, what, what is, what, you know, what's, a, what's, a, what's the greatest challenge facing the diocese in these days? And he said, Well, that would be sin. Mm. Sin is the greatest challenge facing the diocese in these days, it always is. But what does it actually look like? What? How does the scene break out? What, in, in, in if practical terms, disrupts the peace of the church? People. What about them?
2: People. we're all different so we've all got different views ideas thoughts
0: which sometimes clash
2: Mm.
0: yes so it's it's first of all it's the diversity Mm. i mean diversity itself can be richness Mm. and 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 a resource but of course it can lead to um
1: anarchy
0: well not anarchy or at least conflict (laughs) you know we give this sort of thing shall we do this or shall we do that well why don't we do that instead and, and, and so you can have that that causes but the diversity of personalities and diversity of ideas in itself does not need to lead to conflict what turns the diversity or the difference into conflict
4: acts if you ignore someone maybe that you're not so keen on and just cut them off maybe
0: and what would, um, what's that a display of if you do that to somebody oh. why would you do that What's missing from you if you do that?
1: Understanding. You're not being very Christian. <laughs>
0: Again, what particular aspect of Christianness is is it that is missing if you love? Love. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so there's a, there's a, there's a deficit of love, and that's you know when you say sin, if you feel like the, the the particular sin that causes uh, is uh, that causes dissensions is where love is missing. This is why Paul writes in for, you know First Corinthians chapter thirteen. About love, that very famous chapter about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 comes in the middle, it comes between, well, chapters 12 and 14, funny enough, but the 12, chapters 12 to 14 are a long argument where Paul writes about the fact that there are divisions and, and, and dissensions in the Corinthian church over spiritual gifts. So there's a kind of, you know, I'm a prophet, you're not. Well, I speak in tongues and you do not. And, and there's this kind of uh, rivalry that's going on based on the spiritual gifts, which is leading to all kinds of problems. So into the middle of this, Paul gives all sorts of theological arguments and practical kind of things. You know, this is how you deal with this. But in the center of it all, said, so if I had all faith and I could speak in the tongues of angels and men, but have not love, I am nothing. That's why he says, you know, these three remain love. Uh, so um, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is <laughs> love because it's the thing that holds everything together. What are your marvellous gifts good for? If you're the greatest preacher in the whole world, but you do not love the people whom you serve, how, how will that be any good? You know, how, how can that be good for you? It just becomes a performance. I mean, if you go to, a, go to the theatre to see, I don't know, somebody deliver a, a marvellous soliloquy about something, and the lights are on the stage, you use it in darkness, the actor on the stage doesn't care about you one bit. They just perform to you now. If your preacher becomes the same, what good is that? You know, if, if your being there makes difference, neither no difference this way or that, because he's he's not there for you. He's just there to to deliver his oration. Um, if you are the f- most fantastic administrator and you administer, you, know, you you are the greatest secretary or chair or treasurer of the church that there ever was but you do none of it for the love of the people and, and none of it is aimed at the welfare of the church and welfare of the others. What good is that? None at all.
5: Mm.
0: And so, likewise, when you know, you've know got um, two people where they've got different opinions, different perspectives, it only becomes a matter of conflict when love leaves the room. And what does love say about the other person? If I love another person...
3: Be very,
0: very short yourself. Be mm. sorry yeah. yeah yeah so you, you you're kind to them and you treat them as you would wish to be treated yourself you treat them as you would treat yourself you know, love your neighbours yeah or love your neighbour as yourself
5: mm-hmm.
0: and so it's difficult of course it's difficult well, it's because we are sinful because we do not it's only difficult because it's not natural mm. <clears throat> you know breathing isn't difficult most of the time for most people it's, it's natural but running very fast is difficult because it's not natural. We have to train and practice. And looking after our own interests is not difficult. We're really good at it. We come out of the womb looking after our own interests. Looking after the interests of others, that's difficult. That requires effort, It requires. And that's why it gets talked about a lot in the Bible. You know, our attention needs to be drawn to it because our attention is naturally in our own, in own interests, not the interests of others. But if our own—if if I say, OK, my number one aim here is to be at peace with everyone. Then the way that I express my views, my opinions, the way that I present myself will be very different from if I say, I want to make sure that I get my way. The end result might be exactly the same. But the damage on the way will be very different, won't it? They say, you know, they sometimes said in. Um, um, a, a good piece of advice is, you know, it. There are often cases where you you uh, you you win the argument, but you lose the person. Mm-hmm. Either person says, "Okay, fine, you're right, but I don't ever want to hear from you again." Which <laughs> is what is known as a pyrrhic victory. It looks like a victory, but it's in fact a defeat. Love is the ultimate. It's at at the heart of everything because God is love. And faith and hope and truth are all in the service of love. It's it's not loving to be untruthful. You know, you can't be at peace with one another at any cost. It's not loving to be untruthful. But the truth itself has to be in the service of love and not in its own right. So, yeah, be at peace among yourselves. Is something that requires effort, especially since church, as, as we know from experience, the church, generally speaking, if it's, doing, if, it's, if it's a proper church, it will be a really bizarre collection of people who never normally spend time together. You know, you know, the, if you formed a social club, you wouldn't end up with this lot, you know, this kind of gap collection. <laughs> they go into, into seven different social clubs, wouldn't you? <laughs> and so you get all these different perspectives. And it was a problem already in the early church. We see this from First Corinthians again. Paul has to remind the, you know, there there are slave owners and slaves in the same congregation, and he has to say to the slave owners, you know, the slaves they're just as much in Christ as you are, they're no different, they are your brothers, and you treat them with respect, you know, you don't you don't just because you you've got the leisure to turn up to church really early, you don't start the service before everybody turns up because other people don't have that privilege, you know, they they had that problem already, and we still have it today. Let's go on. And we urge you, that word urge means also to exhort and to encourage. It's got all those dif- uh, different uh, difference uh, connotations. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, those who don't do anything. Um, what's he talking about? To answer that question, we actually need to read to Thessalonians as well, because that he, this problem didn't go away. And we so say, therefore, we know that this was a particular issue. It wasn't just that Paul's anti-idleness, but there was an idleness. I don't want to blow too much of this away because we, we will look at it in his own right. But, there seemed to have been a group of people in the Thessalonians saying, Jesus is coming any moment now. So what's the point of going to work? You know, just wait, wait for him to come. And these sorts of things have occurred again and again and again in the history of the church. Um, Luther allegedly once said that if Christ were to return to tomorrow, I'll still plant my cherry tree today. Because that's, that's today's job. Tomorrow's tomorrow's job. Um, and so he's, but at the moment, in this setting, um, in this setting we, we've got, uh, oh, in this context where we don't know the details yet, there are some people who are idle. So he is to uh, admonish uh, the idol, i.e. tell them, stop being idle. Every, everyone should work with their own hands and their living. No scrounging. If you're waiting for Jesus to come and <coughs> you don't go to work, but you still need to eat and drink, so who's, who's doing the work for that? So many years ago on television there was a sort of documentary about some group of people and I can't remember what they were called. But there was this kind of, it, it was a combination of radical, some sort of christian niche ideas, some really radical political and other ideas. And they basically, they, they didn't believe in money. They thought the money was an evil invention uh, by which, uh, you know, which, which had been invented to turn people against each other, turn them away from God and to exploit people. So they didn't believe in money at all well how do, how do such people eat well they would go to the backs of supermarkets and go through the bins and basically collect food that's been thrown away because it's past its use by debt um, in other words they're scrounging on the rest of society <laughs> that, that kind of living was only possible because other people were going to the supermarket so somebody else had to still work for them to eat so this is an idleness is not, and you know, work is not a punishment it's not a consequence of sin. When does work first begin? When when is first is work in the Bible? When is work work first is established? Who's the first labourer in the Bible?
1: Adam isn't it? Yeah. yeah. When after he's thrown out the garden? No. No, in the garden he has and to, and to look yeah, after it. Exactly. The kind of
0: thing, thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the, what happens at the fall is not that work is invented; that's when work becomes laborious. Mm. You to, work turns into toil. So God placed Adam into the garden. Uh, to guard it and to keep it. So Adam was a gardener, as it were. But after the fall into sin, he was cast out of the garden and said, and now he's told that he would have to, instead of looking after a ready garden, he would have to... Start
1: again from the beginning.
0: No, he's, it specifically is, he, he who's told that he would be, you know, from the thorns and, thorns and thistles, he would have mm. to work the ground and, and mm. by the sweat of his brow... Mm. From thorns and thistles, he would have to get his living until he returned to the ground. Instead of living from the ground, he would have worked himself to the ground, as it were. Um, So work itself, that is to say useful and productive occupation, is what we were created for. Idleness is not a good thing. And we know that idleness is not good for us. Most people, when, when you get idle, you get you, get, you know we get a bit potty don't we we need an occupation mm. and if we don't have an actual occupation then we try to find something that looks like an occupation so if you are a, an 18th century very well to do upper upper crust of society lady and you're not allowed to do anything useful because you've got domestics doing all your housework for you, and, 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 you and, you're, and you're supposed to have fair skin all the time then what do you do? You get very 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 good at crochet and cross stitch mm. yeah yeah, because you need to do something. Well,
2: pensioners and the gens- are the same.
0: And the, sorry,
1: pensioners have to do things the same when they've been working all their lives. Suddenly, they've got to find something to do during the day.
0: Yep, yeah. yeah, because it's not again. And, and there comes a time, you know, when people, you know, when through illness or through age, you, you know, you run out of energy and and, mm-hmm. and you, know, you and you and you begin to be looked after more than actually be busily occupied. But It's not idleness itself. is is an affliction. is either an affliction in the sense that we have to we're forced, enforced into idleness through illness, or old age, or accidents, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or it's an it's you know it's it's imposed on us by bad morals, you know, laziness, mm-hmm. and it's not good for anyone. It's idleness.
4: idleness of the of the mind, really. Yeah of uh, just not wanting
0: to do anything or not wanting to find something to do. Which is why the, the word, and uh, some Bibles have it in the footnote, but the idleness, the word that translates as the idle, can also mean undisciplined oh, or okay. disorderly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a disordered life when you do nothing.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: An orderly life is one that is productive in something. It does something. Mm-hmm. You, know, you just, It doesn't mean that you have to be constantly racking your brain for anything. What can we be doing all the time? It's, the rest is part of what we're created for as well. But, yeah, the idol ought to be demolished. Uh Encourage the timid. Um, help the weak. Be patient with all. Um, it says, be patient with them all. And I didn't really understand why it says has that word them in the ESV because he says, you know, be patient towards everyone. Um, and so the, the you know, we've well, got the idol who needs admonition and everybody else here, the, the the faint-hearted, the weak, um, the timid, and the, and the, are to be dealt with, with compassion. They need strengthening, encouragement, building up. And all require patience. Um, This is a great thing about, you know, what what does, uh, you know, what does the scripture teach us to, how does the scripture teach us to, to deal with other people? And the words are love, admonition, but always patience. Love is patient, love is kind. Love, joy, peace, patience. And it's the, it's when we cease to be. On the pursuit, in the pursuit of truth, and love and patience are turning to tolerance. I mean, this is one of my great things, you know, people talk about tolerance, aside and toleration. I think tolerance is a terrible virtue. I don't think we should be tolerant. Which doesn't mean that we shouldn't be intolerant either. I mean, if you become to- if you have, to- if you're tolerant to, I don't know, paracetamol, what does that mean? If you're
1: you're indi-
0: addicted with it. No, that's addiction is different. is something. What is toleration? Accept
1: something, yeah.
0: But if you, let's it's say add, if you if you develop tolerance uh, to a, a drug, what does that mean? That
1: you've got to have it all the time.
0: Yes, because what what happens?
1: Your body won't accept. It
0: doesn't. It. No, it just no, It doesn't accept. It. it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't have effect. The same effect anymore. So, you know, when, you know, if you take painkillers all the time, you find that at some point you'll you take work. bigger and bigger, bigger doses because your body gets used mm-hmm. to them, it doesn't do the thing. This is why people who are, you know, use drugs like heroin, those sorts of drugs, they get hooked partly because it's addictive and substance, but partly because, you know, you have your first shot of heroin, you know, you get this massive high. Six months later, that amount of heroin does nothing.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: So to get the same kick, you have to double the dose and then double it again until it ultimately kills you.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: That's why drug users, long-time drug users, get overdoses because they're trying to, see, they're trying to get enough to get the high and sometimes it's, you, you take so much that it actually kills you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Toleration is not a good thing. Toleration means you put up with something. Yeah. Christians are not called to put up with anything that is ungodly. So I don't want you to be tolerant. Don't, do not be tolerant of evil. Do not be tolerant of ungodliness. Don't be tolerant of immorality. On the one hand, we should be really intolerant of it because it's wrong, even if society thinks it's right. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we are called to be ex- to be patient towards all. And so love says both: I will not tolerate that, but I will be patient with you. And paying patience patiently admonishing and in lovingly correcting and guiding you know if a child is badly behaved should you tolerate it no but it doesn't necessarily mean you immediately chop off their their left hand to teach him a lesson but you patiently guide them until so that when they are when they leave home they've outgrown that because you've patiently admonished them not just with the stick but also with carrot with encouragement And you know, if mm-hmm. if you work in a school with uh there are sometimes children with um Um, kind of like diagnosable conditions that means that they're not misbehaving because they're just evil children they just cannot sit still or they cannot focus or they 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 you know there's sometimes you come across people who are actually have a have a psychiatric condition Mm -hmm. which makes them psychopaths they just have no sense of what, what what the impact their impact is on anybody else they just can't tell or there are people who have they you know they you know they're people who can't read other people's faces. You know, is that a happy face or an un- or an unhappy face? I can't tell.
1: Then there's Tourettes, isn't
0: there? Oh, there are all sorts of things. But the point, my point, is that then when you have children like this, you know, as it is I can't tolerate the behaviour. But that doesn't mean that I just you know cane you every day or put you in the sin bin every day or just you sit outside the headmaster's office on a on a on a record stool all day. So how do I patiently? Guide you through this system so that you learn to survive this system in a way that doesn't get in everybody else's way. Very different from toleration. Love and patience, but uh, rather than toleration. This is what, this, that, that's the Christian virtue. This is why we shouldn't be tolerant. We can do better than that. We can do much better than just putting up with things. Um, <coughs> sorry, that was my little hobby horse here. Be patient with them all. So with, with one another. Always patient. So when you see other people not being the way you would like them to be, first question, am I the baddie here? <laughs> mm-hmm. Always ask the USA am I the baddie, am I the problem? Why am I so impatient with that person, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Am I being reasonable? If you then say, no, no, I am being reasonable, that is wrong, as a okay, right, I need, now I need to learn patience so that I may deal with this thing in a loving way. It doesn't mean that you shy away from the truth, but it means that you deal with it in a loving way. Verse 15, this is something that Paul writes elsewhere, uh, again, um, emphatically in Romans, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Again, evil for evil. We are called to do good. Evil cannot overcome evil. Only good can overcome evil. You, know, you can't um, you can't overcome darkness with more darkness. Darkness can only, only be overcome by light. And so we are not to repay anyone evil for evil. And Paul in Romans quotes from the law of Moses something about this. It says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Whenever we repay evil for evil, we are essentially saying to God, We cannot. I cannot wait for your judgment. I'm going to take things over at this point. I have been wronged. You've done nothing, so I need to do something. And if I put it like that, I don't think he will struggle to see that that's an idolatrous thing to say. So like, God, your justice isn't good enough. I'm going to administer my own justice here. God is the Lord. He's the judge. And if he makes me wait for justice, so be it. There will be justice... No later than the last day. Um, when when I was evil, God responded to it by sending His Son to die for me. So who am I to say that who am I to say that I I, I have to operate on a, on a more <coughs> vengeful principle than that? God did not have has not had vengeance on my sins against Him. Think of the parable of the unforgiving servant. Mm-hmm. You know the. The unpayable debt that we have towards God was paid, was given, was forgiven on account of Christ. So, whatever debts others owe to us is really small change by comparison. If God forgives us, who are we to say otherwise? So, never come e- overcome evil for evil. Let God be judged. Because if you if you take matters into your own hands, you mean it means you're saying God, I don't want you to deal with this. <coughs> and I would like to suggest to you, like I suggest. You suggested to my children when they're younger that you will be more satisfied if you let your parents deal with the matter than if you try to deal with it. If your brother snatched your toy from you and you conked them on the head in retaliation they might be satisfying in the moment but now you're in trouble too. Whereas if you left it to mum and dad to deal with the outcome would have been far better for you because you would have got your toy back and an apology and would have been Ed and everybody's good books all the, all the way along. In the same way you take matters into our own hands with God, it's okay, fine, you deal with it. I was going to deal with it, but you deal with it. we see how that goes. And the answer is not very well. Never repay evil for evil. And that too is hard. Because we feel, you know, incensed. Yeah. And some of us are more temperamental than others, and, and we have to fight hard. Always seek to do good. And that word seek, it's a bit of a pun. Because that word... Um, the NIV says, always try to be kind. It's a really weak translation, I'm afraid. Is seek, it's the same word that means to persecute. It's its literal, kind of, the basic meaning is to pursue something or chase. So persecution is when you're being chased. And so what you're chasing here is, you know, these, these are the persecuted Christians of Thessalonica, they've been persecuted. So what, what persecute, and so, You know, when you've been persecuted, people are being evil to you, so your temptation is to be evil back. And he says, no, no, no. Repay no one evil for evil, but the persecution you should be busy with is pursuing the doing of good to one another and to everyone. Be annoyingly kind (laughs) all the time. Um,
3: How difficult is that?
0: It's very difficult, Mm -hmm. but it's also extremely powerful. It's extremely powerful. It's very, very, very difficult to be endlessly nasty to somebody who refuses to behave as if you were nasty to them. You know, the the sort of person that a bully will pick on is somebody who who becomes cowed by it and timid by it, who gets discouraged by it, or somebody with whom you can have a fight, who will fight back. But the person who remains cheerful and unafraid it's actually quite difficult to bully. It's, it's a strange thing. you know, Again, if you think of the world of children, you will remember from your own school days, no doubt, that there are some children just get picked on, and others don't. So when I was at school, in primary school, my older brother got picked on all the time, and I didn't. It was just the year between us, same kids in the same playground, he got picked on and I didn't. <laughs> Explain that if you can. I can't. But that's how it is. But one of the things that I've noticed in my teaching career was that the sort of children who just said, this is me, if you don't like me, I didn't care, just sail through life because there's nothing satisfying about them. They're just, you know, they're just themselves. And we as Christians, we should be confident. No, we shouldn't be. We can't. We are confident. We have confidence. We have confidence in Christ. We have a father who will back us up to eternity. So we don't need to be afraid of anyone. So we can we can be annoyingly kind and good to everyone, even those people who wish us evil. And this way, many Christians overcame the hostility of their enemies. And there are many stories from the early church where uh, men who, as their job in the Roman army, you know, were busy crucifying Christians or feeding them to the animals, would then later themselves be martyred because of the witness of the martyrs, the way that the martyrs went to their deaths was so impressive to them, they refused to curse, and they refused to weep, and they praised God uh, to the end. And that overcame their hostility, and they they were in fact drawn to Christ. That's the, so that's why we are told in you know, Jesus' Gospels to rejoice and be glad when we persecute for his righteousness' sake, because we are in good company that way. The last bit, was, and then we go to, uh, from verse 16... It's um, you can't see it. It's, you can't really translate it into English in the way that's written. It's, it's quite cleverly written, but you've got these short phrases uh, where the the verb, what you're supposed to do, comes last. So it says, always rejoice, without ceasing, pray. In all circumstances, give thanks. Uh, as for the spirit. Do not quench. For prophecies, do not despise, and all things test. So it's like it's it, it's quite rhetorically quite a, a, a powerful thing. You know? Always, this without ceasing. And if you look at those, what are those? Uh, the the qualifiers. Always, without ceasing, in all circumstances. Those first three. So. What do we do? You know, what do they have in common? Always without ceasing in all circumstances. What do they have in common? Those three.
4: Consistency.
0: Consistency, answer so this permanence, which does not take into account your circumstances, in all circumstances, in all things. And what you are supposed to do: rejoice, pray, pray. and give thanks. And these need to be said because in some circumstances, you know, we don't, we're not always joyful in ourselves. To pray without ceasing is not something we naturally do. And we're not thankful in all circumstances, are we? These things are sound like strange things to command, but they are in fact, what, what Paul really is saying behind this, is that act out of faith.
5: Mm.
0: If you have faith, act out in faith. So if you, ha- if, if you know that you are loved by God and that all things work for the good of those who love God, that in, in, that, that in Christ all enemies have already been defeated and that victory is ours, then we, there, there's always cause for rejoicing. Not in ourselves, not in the world, but in the Lord. So in Philippians, Paul writes the neighbor in Philippi, rejoice in the Lord all, always. Again, I say rejoice. It doesn't mean they always have to be cheerful, Does't mean you always have to be happy in that kind of emotional sense, but you can always have joy in the Lord, because regardless of your circumstances, we have an eternal life already guaranteed for us, one for us. We already have God's favor. He has already promised that all things will work together for us for our good. Pray without ceasing. How does prayer come out of faith? How does faith lead to prayer?
2: Well, if you've got faith, you then pray? you will pray.
0: Mm. Why? Why will faith make you pray?
2: Well, to uh, keep in touch with God.
0: But why does faith do that? How does faith do that specifically? How does how does faith? What 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 is it about because faith you've got that got leads
2: belief to? belief in what Christ will do.
0: Right. So you trust that it's... is. First of all, you trust that it's it's got. It's it, there's a point to it it's effective. Yeah. To pray is to know that you're being listened to as well. In the catechism, we were told that we should pray. There are two reasons to pray: God has commanded us to pray, mm-hmm. and He's promised to hear us. Mm-hmm. And so we pray because we know that we we will have a hearing. And we need, you know, every circumstance. It doesn't mean that the only thing we do is pray. You know, we're just on our knees, round the clock, but rather that our prayer should be, you know, prayer shouldn't be an occasional thing that we slip into. At the start or end of the day, or in this, you know, give give God a minute of our day. But rather, it's something that should inhabit our lives, mm-hmm. prayer, and um, doing things prayerfully doesn't mean simply stopping what you're doing and formulating words in your mouth or in your head. But as we do things, and again in the large catechism, in um, uh, one of the things that Luther kind of says is, we should teach the children. Uh, he, he refers specifically to the sign of the cross, but he links that to the fact that we uh, that we have access to God's mercies. We should teach children to make the sign of the cross and to pray, kind of pray for God's mercy whenever they see, you know, it emerges. Like in a, in a modern day example, see ambulance blue lights on sirens.
5: Mm.
0: That is cause for prayer.
5: Mm.
0: Or when you when you when you are in a situation of danger, you narrowly miss danger. But also, when we receive our food, and when we've finished our food, we, we, we receive our food with thanksgiving um, and ask for God's blessing. When we start the day, when we end the day. According to the Church Father uh, uh, Tertullian, writing in, in North Africa in the very end of the second century, says the Christians, they make the sign of the cross and pray every time they get out of bed and every time they get into bed. Whenever they put their clothes on or take their clothes off, when they leave the house, when they come back home, when they sit down to eat, when they get up from the table, there's like, you know, all the time, at every station, you know, I leave my home, Lord Jesus, go with me. I come back home, thank you Heavenly Father for bringing me safely home. You know, Um and what, and faith leads to prayer because it sees that all things come from God and all things depend on God. And that's why all things are subjects for prayer. I give thanks in all circumstances. I, I've become, I've, I think I've spoken about it a fair bit recently because it's, it's sort of something that I've really come to appreciate myself more and more uh, recently is how much thanksgiving and faith are intertwined. Because faith recognizes the gift and therefore it gives thanks. Faith recognizes that, you know, I woke up this morning and I'm alive and I'm, in, you know, I'm well enough to get out of bed. That's a gift from God. No guarantee. So I give thanks to God. So every time that the faith leads to thanksgiving because faith recognises God's goodness. But likewise, thanksgiving strengthens faith because when we seek to give thanks to God, we begin to notice, what can I thank God for now? You know, that thing, you count your blessings. The more you find blessings, the more your faith grows because, hang on, I've got this and I've got that and I've got these things and God has done this for me. And so thanksgiving and faith they, they it's like a virtuous loop they feed each other it's a feedback loop where you, you know as the more you give thanks the more you strengthen your faith the more you have faith the more you give thanks so Thanksgiving is an incredibly important aspect of Christian life so he says give thanks in all circumstances you know you're you've fallen off the Titanic you're drowning in the icy waters give thanks <laughs> it was like
4: someone on television last night from the earthquake thing. Yeah. I can't remember what the question was now, but he'd lost a lot of his family. But he ended up saying, thank the Lord. Mm. I don't know what he was thanking God for, to be honest. Maybe mm. just that he was still alive. Maybe he was just in a state of shock or whatever. Mm. But it obviously became an automatic thing to say, thank God.
0: Yeah. There was a philosopher in the 1950s, a young philosopher, um, who uh, wrote an essay. He was, he was a, there's a philosophy club at Oxford University that was run by C.S. Lewis. Uh, mm-hmm. and, see, and he gathered these sort of bright young minds to, around him, and they'd have these meetings. And one point, they, they had like a magazine, and just for a very short time, these young young men wrote a series of brilliant essays, which are still in print today.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, the club's long gone, and the men are all long dead. But there's a, this philosopher A.J. who became very famous in his own right, um, and he uh, he wrote this. No, no, not A.J. Uh, Anthony Flew he was professor of philosophy at Reading University for a long time, and he wrote this essay where he was basically arguing that the Christian faith is not just that it's wrong, but rather it doesn't make it's incoherent, it doesn't kind of it it doesn't make any sense and what he said, because he said his term was that it's unfalsifiable, in other words there are no circumstances which can prove it to be wrong. See if I said okay, this TV remote works Mm -hmm. is that a true statement or a false statement? (coughs) <coughs> well, let's see <laughs> it works so, but if I said that regardless of what happens and if I press the button and nothing happens it's like, oh, it still works, it just works in a different way mm. and whatever circumstance comes from it, oh, it still works You know, oh, it's, it's, it goes up in flames and is left with oh it still works then that word works doesn't mean anything and if I said, this is white, this piece of paper is white, but this Bible is also white, and this book stand here is white, and, you know, and the ceiling is white, then that word white doesn't convey... It's not that it's true or false. It doesn't convey any information. Mm. It's a pointless word. It's like if you read something like the Jabberwocky, you know, the kind of nonsense poem. What's a Jabberwocky? Well, it doesn't mean it's, a, it's deliberate nonsense. Yeah. And he said, Christianity is nonsense in that sense. Because Christians say that God is love. He said, imagine... That a child is walking home and a car swings by and narrowly misses the child. And God, and the mother says, Well, thanks be to God, God, is, God, is, God, is, God loves this boy because this boy Satan, wasn't hit by the car. Mm. Mm. But then if the car actually does hit the boy and the boy is injured but survives, the mother will say, God loves me, but God loves my son because he wasn't killed mm. and he's only injured. But if the car hits the boy and kills the child, The mother said, well, God loves my son because he's taken him to be in heaven. So it doesn't matter what happens. We always attribute it to God's love and therefore say God loves me doesn't mean anything. It's like saying that brown and red and green and yellow are all white.
5: Mm.
0: Nonsense. Anthony Flew made a, it's a very, very clever point. You know, whatever happens is, oh God, that's because God loves me. Mm. But he forgot one thing. It's not an argument against Christianity because that's what Christians have always said. But God is, God is love. It's not that we don't measure the love by saying, does God do what we'd like him to do? But rather, God can take any circumstance and turn it for his own, his own good. It's actually true that God's love is expressed in different ways. You know, in the same circumstance, somebody, you know, took it. Some people survived, they say, praise the Lord. Other people died. We can still say, praise the Lord for what he has done. In those, in the when things go badly wrong, we just don't always know how. But we have reason to trust in God's goodness because Jesus died for us. In other words, that all this talk of love is underwritten by the love of God, which is shown for us in Jesus Christ. And if He did that for us, we don't have to doubt, don't we? Say, okay. If the big item is in our favour, then all these little, smaller things make sense in the light of that. You know, if. You know, if a parent, if a child says, "My my mother loves me because my mother always, um, you know, lets me do whatever I like," another child says, "My mother loves me because, you know, sometimes, you know, she she's cross with me uh, when I do the wrong things, but you know, it it passes over and, and she never lays a hand on me." Another child can say, "Well, my mother loves me because whenever I do things really badly, she smacks me so that I learn not to do it." <laughs> <laughs> well, does that word "love" mean anything? Yes, it does. Mm. Because the love of, it's not the action that tells us that God loves, no, the mother loves you. I know that my mother loves me and therefore I can understand that she does it out of love because I have reason to believe that she loves me already. Mm. And we have reason to believe that God loves us and therefore we can give thanks in all circumstances. Because God, because Jesus died for me. And therefore that big umbrella term of love always applies. Even because all the other circumstances are small. All the other circumstances are smaller than And it's not natural to us we need to be told. But Paul says, This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Mm-hmm. God wants you to be filled with faith, He wants you to turn to Him, He wants you to be joyful, He wants you to be thankful. Because it's good for you. He loves you enough, so He wants you to be not to be miserable, but to be joyful. Then as for the Spirit, do not quench the Spirit. How do you quench the Spirit?
1: By the, losing all your faith.
0: But how do you? What do you actually do to quench it? I and mean, quench here means um, Take away. no, it means yes, to 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 no no. Uh, quench here means do Lord, you, you, do do you, do you do to flame. What does it mean? What do you do to flame? You put out a fire. Yeah, you, you stop it. Yeah, so that's what quenching is here. Um, it's um, I'm going to teach you some Greek.
5: <laughs>
0: it's uh, the the verb is to quench it. A, so something that is flammable is sbestos. Uh, and if it's non-flammable, it's asbestos. So mm-hmm. asbestos means something that cannot be burnt. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and so it's, it comes from the idea: do not, um, uh, do not quench the spirit. Do not put out the flames. Uh, how? What would you have to do to put out? Where is the of flame of the spirit to flow, if like um, burning?
4: Well, you stop going to church. Stop listening to God's word or reading God's. Not word. reading
0: the Bible. Just stop anything to yeah. do with God. Sure, yes. <laughs> yeah. So the, where, where, where do we seek the Spirit to be aflame? Where is the Spirit burning? If you like a flame for us.
1: In church, in God's word. In God's word and in the means of grace. Yeah. So
0: God's word and in the sacraments. In where God mm. has promised to be by His Spirit, wherever Jesus, you know, Jesus is presented to us, word and sacraments. So to quench your Spirit is to cease to listen
5: mm.
0: to the voice of the Spirit when he speaks to us. Do not despise prophecies. Now, this is the early church. They actually had prophets in the early church, people who, uh, who spoke to them. But also, in, in a wider wider sense, prophecy means to speak forth. To be a prophet is to one who speaks forth. In other words, it also, uh, also therefore, applies to the application of Scripture. In other words, to preaching this is why the small catechism says on the third commandment, you know, uh, which says uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy it says, which fear and love God that we despise preaching and his word mm-hmm. so this is the quencher spirit tips, uh, despise prophecies but, it says, but test everything test everything doesn't mean try everything okay it means test everything, what does that mean? well,
4: what you're told by anyone with what's written in
0: here right and there's a, and keep that, hold fast See. to what is good, <coughs> yes exactly, so we have we have a the words the prophets and the apostles are of are, are the solid solid rock, if you like that we've been given
5: mm-hmm.
0: of God's word. we can also test things by their fruit and, and he says test everything, hold fast to what is good, well he doesn't say by simplicities and therefore discard what is not good abstain from every kind of evil every form of evil um that's really important I abstain from every kind of evil um it's hard because it's everywhere but we have to abstain from it
3: that's
1: the problem that's, when people are sent to Jesus war to kill people because that throws all that that's out it doesn't sorry it's why Jesus is there mm.
0: What do you mean?
3: Well, I can't um, do everything right.
0: It doesn't say do everything right. It's abstain from every kind of evil.
3: Well, isn't that the same sort of thing?
0: It's not. Evil is not... To abstain from evil is simply stay away from things that are evil. So I could give you a long list. So abstain from theft, abstain from lies, abstain from sexual immorality, from pornography, abstain from violence, abstain from... Uh, covers his behaviour abstain from stealing uh, abstain from all these things that are in you know, idolatry it's not difficult not to go and worship in the mosque you just don't do it it's not difficult not to watch pornography just don't switch it on or don't buy the magazine or whatever it's not difficult not to steal just don't do it so it's, it's abstain from evil there are this is not talking about keeping your heart entirely sinless it's about your actions <clears throat> just do not enter into evil don't go along with evil Evil is, is a specifically, it's not just anything that is short of perfect. It means specifically things that are like contrary to God's law. Observe the Ten Commandments externally. And that can be done.
3: Well, I think that's why we
0: need Jesus. Yes, is not the Spirit. But this is not a matter of forgiveness. He's not saying become perfect. He's saying do not take part in things that are contrary to God's will. Mm.
3: But and, it doesn't mean that, you know, you might fall over at some point and think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Yes. Um, so, you know, I, I, I kind of think I can't be God.
0: Nobody's yeah, saying God. no, but it doesn't say be God or no. be like God. it says abstain from evil. So when I say to you, so for example, you know, say, shall I do this or shall I not? Your life is full of choices all the time. You know, uh, will I, will I, uh, you know, will I, will I pay for the shopping, or will I try to sneak it out of the shop?
3: That's that's different. It's not. This is everything. No, no.
0: This is this is exactly what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. He's talking about the way that you conduct yourself. That's what this is referring to. So evil here is there are specific things that are are explicitly and and flagrantly contrary to God's will, that are 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 the opposite of what is right and what is good, and you are not to take part in that. So you don't go to places, take part in activities or engage in conduct that is clearly uh, condemned by God. Now, it doesn't mean that you will therefore do everything perfectly unlike God. That's not what we're talking about. That's that's not even the subject matter. The subject matter is whether you go to the pagan temple, whether you go to the brothel. You know, that sort of thing. Whether whether you continue to um, uh, mistreat your slaves whether you whether you act uh, act violently towards those who are weaker than you, whether you extort money from people who are who owe you money those are all things that are evil sexual immorality, murder, adultery swindling those things the things that are listed for all these things don't do it and and if you do yes there is forgiveness but it's not saying that we can't do it it's it's it just, you know, not having an affair is not an, un, is not an impossible ask for a married person. Not stealing from your boss is not something that no Christian can do. Um, not defrauding people is not unachievable. He's not talking about sinlessness. He's talking about actually flagrant, open uh, uh, contradiction of God's will. Let's quickly finish the chapter. He finally finishes with a, a benediction, a blessing for them. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctify means? Make holy. Make holy. Now, you already are holy in that you're God's possession. Now, he wants you to be sanctified completely inti- in, in your entirety. In other words, that the states of holiness percolate through every ounce of your being. That's, and as a God of peace will do it. And may your whole... And this is a person... Spirit, soul and body. Or you could even translate it as spirit, life and body. Be kept blameless at the uh, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is who you are. You've got spirit, you've got a soul and you've got a body. And these together make you. And every aspect... Spirit is, 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 uh, is the spirit that communes with God... Your soul, which animates your body and your body, every every dimension of your life, to be kept blameless by God at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that comes through repentance and it comes through faith, receiving the forgiveness of sins and growth in the holiness of God. And look at verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So that's what That is uh, what—that is the work of God in us. He's not saying you do it; become blameless. No, God will faithful you, sanctify you completely, and will make you blameless. And then finally, brothers, pray for us. He prays for them. Now he asks for them to pray for for himself. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Early Christians were accused of uh, incest by outsiders. Because they call each other brothers and sisters, and then there's all this kissing going on. But it was, a, it was the, the greeting of the peace wasn't a polite handshake. But the uh, Christians, say, you know, this is and this is in the, in the service. You know, the exchange of peace that, uh, that uh, sometimes take place in church um, was a real. You know, you kiss somebody; it's an act of friendship. It's an act of familial closeness. You only do that to people who you're intimate with, and therefore it is not inc- it's not compatible with enmity unless you're Judas you know you don't kiss your enemies you can only kiss your family and friends Um, and this was this holy kiss in other words it's a kiss that is not just because you're mates but because you are fellow saints and then finally put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers i.e. the whole church was here it's not just some of you, not just the leaders. left. the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, be with you which is a short version of what becomes the longer grace at the end of 2 Corinthians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And this is the end of 1 Thessalonians, although it's not the end of the problems. So next time we will see how that developed when Paul writes the second letter, not much later. Mm. Any final questions, comments?
4: (laughs) Go ahead. When we're talking about not returning evil for evil, yes. how does that work in the Old Testament when they're told an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Okay. punishment mm-hmm. for sin rather than active evil for evil. Yeah, it's
0: actually a punishment for crime. Right. It's a punishment for crime. It's a judicial system.
4: Yes.
0: Oh, so okay. uh, yeah. if somebody's evil to me, I'm not to be evil to them. I'm to hand it to them over to the authorities to deal with it.
5: Right.
0: So if you steal my car, I'm not to come and... You know, steal, nick your car in return yeah. or come and throw a brick through your window mm-hmm. or punch you or shove it at you. I'm to report it to the police. Mm-hmm. And then they will administer justice.
5: You hope. Okay.
0: Yeah, you hope. Yeah.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, if they're not busy painting crossings funny colours. Um, yeah, so, but that's the idea. So we have, God has established a, a justice system in the world mm-hmm. and then there's cosmic justice at the last judgment as well. But this is all to do with the fourth commandment. You know, that there is this authority structure. You know, like I said, I gave you the example earlier of, of children.
5: Yeah. You know,
0: if, you're, if, you're, if your brother or your sister is nasty to you, you don't don't go and punch them, go and report it to those who are in charge, mum and dad. And in society, fellow citizens, we have authorities over us whose task it is, job it is. And so in the Old Testament, when it was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, was how to administer justice within the society. Yeah,
2: right, right. Yeah. Well, we did that up until we abolished Hanging in 64. <coughs> Yes, and uh, there's a Conservative minister now who's mm. saying we should bring it back, because yes. they wouldn't then have an, uh, another opportunity to do anything. Uh, yeah, he says, yeah, they're, <laughs> they're, yeah,
0: the dead don't commit crimes. No, uh, there is—I mean, I don't want to go down the rabbit uh, uh, hole, uh, uh, but I mean, there is a, there is a strong case for. I didn't—the case to say that capital punishment is wrong—I think is very weak. Mm. the question is whether it's right or wrong the question that I have is can it be reliably and safely administered in a complex very large society like ours that's the yeah. question Maybe we have too many cases of innocent people being executed there was a case in China about 10 years ago where somebody, you know, person's wife disappeared mm. couldn't find the body in the end he was found guilty of her murder was executed, and a few months later, she came back. She just ran away and disappeared. Ah, oh, right. So these sorts of things. So it's, it's a practical thing rather than a battery principle.
4: I think he was referring to took the case up of um, the young man, the soldier Rigby,
2: uh, who was murdered. Yeah,
4: yeah.
2: Well, we, we did uh, did cut an awful lot of stuff out mm. years ago. Mm-hmm. You didn't get, you know. They knew
4: what would happen if they were Mm. caught. I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) I'm not going to be controversial.
0: Let's close uh, with the grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all.
4: Amen. Amen.
5: Amen.